Hi everybody, this is Lori Weaver. Welcome to Compulsive Overeating Diary, day 61. It's now been 22 weeks, one day since I began this experiment where I talk about my thoughts and feelings about compulsive overeating rather than heading to the chips. And I wanna give a big old shout out to Canada. Yay, Canada! You know, I'm pretty amazed. Every day I kinda check out where I am in the hot list of iTunes for US and Canada just to kinda keep track of it. Talk about quantification. I just kinda like to know where the show is. And today Canada smoked it. I got a brand new record. We're at 178 in Canada iTunes compared to US, which is still at 302 today. So Canadian listeners, a great big kiss hug. Thanks so much for subscribing and downloading the show. I really, really appreciate it. Now, US listeners, that's still not shabby when you think that there are more than 2,000 podcasts in the personal journal category, the main category for Compulsive Overeating Diary. So I appreciate you guys too. But Canada, that's really amazing. And thanks so much. I walked down to my local park today because it's going to be hot. Surprise, surprise, in Southern California in July and August, it gets bloody darn hot. It really gets hot. So I got up at six to prepare for the show and get myself on down here. So right now I'm sitting under a tree briefly to tell you the shout outs. Then I'm gonna go for a walk. So when we come back from listening to Josh Woodward's snippet of I'm letting go, I'm gonna tell you what I'm letting go today. I'm gonna tell you about my measurements, not the scale, my actual measurements, give a couple more shout outs, and then we're going to have some comment conversations from Helen, Stephanie from Germany, Cheryl, and Sue. But I'm letting go. Josh, 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 I've had so much to let go of the last several days, just a ton to let go of. And today, when I'm done with the shout outs, I'm going to let go of rules and regulations. Now here I'm talking about my self-imposed rules on myself, and that's really been on my mind. But first, a couple of shout outs. First of all, to Alan Standish, I just really want to thank him. If you've not listened to day 60 and Stephanie's secret topic number three, Go back and listen to it because Stephanie asked me a question on that show and Stephanie's secret topic is where I don't listen to her audio question until I'm ready to record and then I respond on the fly. So I was up hiking on the mountain listening to Stephanie ask me a question that involved Alan Standish. And I said, I'm going to just ask Alan if he wouldn't reply. So I emailed him and that same day he recorded and sent me a reply so I could cut it into the show. So thank you so much, Alan. I really appreciate it. And by the way, if all goes as planned, this week he's still planning on his very next episode of Progress Not Perfection is going to feature the interview that we did while I was walking around this very self-same park. So right now I think it's going to be on Thursday, July 10th. But you know how it is in the podcast biz. But take a look out for episode 42 of Alan's 
progress, not perfection, because it should be the interesting conversation between he and I. While we're on shoutouts, I also want to mention that two more people added me to their playlist on Stitcher. So thank you, Stitcher listeners. I really appreciate it. I still haven't seen any reviews or ratings on Stitcher, but I know that there has to be a certain number before they will even show up. I know on iTunes, until you have five reviews or ratings, nothing really shows up for you on the, the overview. But I know that you cared enough to add me to the playlist, and I super, super appreciate it. Also, before I start walking and pondering about my self-imposed rules and regulations, I want to tell you something weird that I found out. Like, you've heard me many, many times talk about how I'm pear-shaped, right? How I've got these really monster huge legs and that I'm bigger in the hips and I'm up above. And I've been that way my entire life. Well, you also know that my size changes all the time, until now anyway. It's gone up and down and up and down, you know, through a roller coaster. I honestly, every month, never know what size I would be. And if you don't believe me, go to compulsiveovereatingdiary.com, click on Lori's weight story, and from there you can get to my photo page where I put some assorted photos of my different weights and sizes. And literally, because I was such a compulsive eating person, and had so many binges and so many diets, I would literally not know what size I was. So many times before we would go out, I would have to be digging through my different boxes of sizes to find something that fit. In my day-to-day life around the house, it'd be something very stretchy usually, you know, like sweatpants and a huge oversized t-shirt because my weight would change so often. But if I needed to wear like a business suit, or a party outfit or something like that, I never knew what size I actually was because it changed all the time. But I happened to run across the other day my measurements from 2008. Okay, 2008, my measurements. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Let me measure myself today and see how that compares. Now, I have no idea if I was thin or fat or what I was in 2008 when these measurements were taken. But I would think that the proportion would have stayed the same. But guess what? In my upper body, I am three to four inches bigger all the way across the board. Bust, waist, tummy, all the way across the board. And my hated legs and hips, my leg measurements are identical to 2008. And my hips are only up by half an inch. So yes, I definitely have some fat on me because my measurements on my top side are higher. But my bottom side stayed the same. So like a lot of ladies, I guess, in middle age, the way I distribute my weight has changed. I now have more on my top than I did, and my bottom has remained the same. So if we were looking at cup is half full or half empty, my usual negativity response would have been, oh, crap, I got fatter on my top. How awful is that? Damn it. But... Honestly, this was true. My first response is, how about that? I'm actually evening out to more of an hourglass shape. My top is now more of the same size with my bottom. And how exciting is that? For years, I've had to buy dresses like two sizes bigger than what the top would like in order to fit my bottom half and then go to the tailor and have it taken in or buy pants and have the waistband taken in. And this is telling me that if I go shopping, I might actually buy a dress in a single size and not have to go to the tailor. 
<laughs> so whatever my weight, whatever my size, I thought it was pretty interesting to tell you, yes, I still have big legs, but I don't think I'm as pear-shaped, as distinctly pear-shaped as I used to be, and I think that's kind of cool. So you never know how your perception may or may not actually fit the facts. Okay, brave companions, now I'm in the pondering mood, so I'm gonna be walking around the park for a while. You might hear cars, other hikers and walkers, people playing, birds, my footsteps, my heavy breathing, who knows what you might hear, but I'm actually walking while I ponder. And this really helps me think. We're gonna walk and ponder until I get to the back part of the park where I like to sit on my podcasting rock and then I'll read the letters and comments that I promised you earlier. But as I told you, what I need to let go of is self-imposed rules and regulations. I've shared with you over the last months that I'm really working on something called intuitive eating, which is where you kind of check in with yourself on how hungry you are and you eat in response to your physical body hunger as best as you can identify it. And then you stop eating, you actually stop and put the fork down when you feel this signal inside that tells you you've had enough and you try to put a number on that. So if we take a look at the intuitive eating scale, it starts at zero, I believe, or one and goes up to 10 and the one is, I am so starving that I would lick the paint off the wall. It's, it's beyond hungry. It's that I've been without food for several days and I'm just so hungry that I, I don't even know who I am. Now, I haven't had that too many times in my life, but that's that feeling. Five is neutral, right in the middle. I'm not hungry, I'm not full. I'm just not anything. And 10 is, oh my goodness, I'm so stuffed full. This is like after the binge or a huge holiday meal where your stuff's so full that you have to undo your pants so your tummy has more room and you're feeling absolutely beyond capacity almost. So theory goes that what you wanna to try to strive for is to begin your eating when you're at a three or a four and stop your eating, like around five or six or seven or eight, depending on what you're trying to do and what you want. Now for me, I try to not begin eating until three or four, unless I'm making a conscious choice that I want to eat this food for some reason, whether it's pleasure or because I choose to emotionally eat and I'm making a decision that it's worth it for me to emotionally eat when I'm not hungry because this is the only way I can cope right now and I'm going to try to think about that later. Okay, so, but if I'm following, again, my internal rule, I try not to eat food until I'm at a three or four. And then here's the really tricky part if you've been a compulsive overeating person like me, as I was in the past, now, as I said last show, I'm going to identify as a person who's had issues with the behaviors of compulsive overeating. So if you too are a person who's had issues with compulsive overeating behaviors, it can be really, really tricky 
to one, eat slow enough that your body has a chance to even tell you that it's had enough, or two, to hear it because it is this really tiny, 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 small voice. And once you've identified this tiny, tiny, small voice that says, hey, we're full, we're done, we don't need any more food, we're satisfied, then you need to make a conscious decision. Yes, I'm putting the fork down, <laughs> I'm done. I'm putting the plate away. Either I'm gonna save the rest of the food or I'm gonna put it in the trash and, and wait until I'm hungry again to eat some more. So, that's all very well and good. It lets you eat all kinds of wonderful things that you haven't eaten for years when you're used to dieting and binging, you know, eating purposefully, eating on purpose. Like yesterday, I had blueberry pancakes. Now, that was something I haven't had for many, many years. And I think I told you before, my grandma had a blueberry farm. So I used to have plenty of blueberry pie and blueberry pancakes and blueberry muffins around my house because fresh blueberries was something that we had in abundance every July and August back home. But I haven't had pancakes on purpose, let alone blueberry pancakes on purpose, for many, many years. And why not? Well, when you're in the binge mood, it's kind of not likely that you're gonna stop and make yourself up a batch of blueberry pancakes from scratch. You're more likely to go hit the chips or the cereal or something that's quick and easy to make. That's what binge food for me was. What can I get down my gullet right now? What can I do this minute to make myself feel better? Not, hey, let me get out my cookbook, find the best recipe I can for pancakes, make them, take the time to do it, and then put them on the plate. And if I was dieting, then what the hell? Dieting, you're not gonna spend calories on pancakes. Plus, they're carbs, right? They're the evil grain carbs. They're terrible. You should not be eating them if you buy into some of the, the methodologies and theories there are today about how one should or should not eat. Again, more rules. So, if I was going to make pancakes, I probably wouldn't do it unless I had non-dieting binging company over that were staying at my house who said, what I would like is pancakes. That's probably the only reason that I would ever make pancakes before I started intuitive eating is if you wanted it and you were at my house and I don't even know if I had a non-dieting, non-binging eating person ever stay over at my house, tell you the truth. But I think it's telling that I would get out my recipe book get my finest blueberries and make you a wonderful plate of blueberry pancakes if you were at my home and wanted that. And I would think nothing of it. And I would probably very much enjoy this pancakes that I made for you. But how many times, brave companions, would I say to myself, I am my own guest. I really feel like having blueberry pancakes for breakfast today. So I'm going to get out my cookbook. I'm going to get the finest blueberries that I can find. And I'm going to make this for myself. Well, I bet you can guess the answer to that. Almost zero <laughs> until the other day. The part of intuitive eating is also allowing yourself to have foods to destigmatize 
destigmatize de them, to demystify them, to make all food kind of equal in your psychological brain. And this is kind of scary, don't let me fool you. This is a scary thing to do, to eat things like blueberry pancakes or whipped cream or pie. Things that my brain has told me for years, this is bad, don't eat it. This is fattening, this will make you huge, or it's not good for you for many, many reasons. And I think it's very easy when we're dieting to impose an external set of rules on ourselves, right? Eat only so many calories, eat only these foods, eat only after this time. Many, many, many rules come with any diet or weight loss plan. Exercise six times a week, 30 minutes at least. Do three sessions of weightlifting, two of long cardio. Eat breakfast before you work out. Don't eat breakfast before you work out. Many, many different rules depending on what you're trying to accomplish and what methodology you're following. Well, I think it's very easy to be comforted by dieting rules because having any set of rules for yourself gives you a sense of comfort and power and ease because all you have to do is follow these rules and then you can feel good about yourself and you can feel in control of your weight, which you think is the issue, at least for me. I shouldn't keep saying you, I mean the general you, like people in general. Okay, but what I thought is interesting is that even as I'm trying to do intuitive eating, which is really about having no rules and listening to your body and paying attention to how you feel, I tend to get all rule obsessed and yell at myself, Lori, you weren't to a four, let alone a three when you started eating that. Shame on you, that's not intuitive eating, you're just overeating, you're using intuitive eating as an excuse to be eating stuff you shouldn't. And secretly, what do you mean that you're having pancakes? Do you know how many calories are in these pancakes? You should be eating intuitively, but maybe you should have a boiled egg instead. Stuff like that. So, even though I'm following some principles, and actually I got the book Intuitive Eating after I started doing these principles myself, because a lot of the principles that are in that book are things I discovered through my own experience, and I shared that experience with you while we've been podcasting. So I like intuitive eating as a book because it corresponds with my beliefs at the moment and how I'm feeling and what I'm finding true for me. But I don't think that I or anybody should take any one book as the be-all, end-all of knowledge. I think you should think about where you're at what you're ready for, what your core principles are, and evaluate anything that you read or any program that you want to join under that umbrella. For me, perfect fit. For you, maybe not yet. You know, I have an online friend who's been struggling with her weight for years and years and years, and she has done extremely well 
when she joined with CrossFit and went on a paleo diet because that's kind of what they do to support their muscle growth and how they believe. And she has excelled and feels wonderful, just wonderful. You know, so I'm not gonna say to her, hey, you should stop that. You should like eat anything you want and follow what I have to say because for her, at this point in time, she's very happy doing what she's doing. Now I've tried, now I haven't tried CrossFit because my joints are not up to that and it also doesn't really appeal to me. I understand how it can. I've had my experience being a regular gym rat as we discussed earlier. But I have tried paleo or very close to paleo. And for me, while I did lose some weight, I didn't feel good. My body just did not feel good. And I know there's many of you out there who might try something like that and say, Lori, you're crazy because I tried it and I had energy through the roof. Everything is so much better for me when I eat in this manner. But for me, that wasn't true. And that's why I'm really hesitant to ever say, hey, brave companions, here's the answer. This is what you ought to do. Because what I do and what works for me is for me. It's where I am psychologically, physically, my beliefs, my core systems. You know, I have another good friend who's a vegan. Now what if, you know, she's a vegan for both her health reasons. She has very high cholesterol and a vegan diet has helped her keep her cholesterol down. And also she is very, very, you know, animal activist, very pro animal rights. And for her, it's also a principle. So even if I could give her these facts, that eating animal flesh was the best thing to do for a perfect body that would not fit in her methodology or in her belief system, and that would not be something that she could do. So, you know, all of these rules and get thin quick tips and all the new diets that come out day after day after day, let alone year after year after year. You know, they're all just the same stuff, repackaged in some new way usually, with a little new twist on it, because that's what sells, right? That's what sells. If I were to write a diet book, it'd be because I'm trying to sell it. But I don't have an answer for you. All I know is what's working for me, and what's working for me right now is not helping me lose any weight. It is helping me to maintain my weight, and it is helping me to feel really good, and psychologically working with a therapist, and psychologically with this show, and working with myself for many, many years, I am finally coming to the place where I can let go of my body weight as a big issue. I still wish that I could drop a few pounds, but I feel so good that it really isn't my issue. I really want more, a life free of fear of food 
and I want a life where my compulsive overeating behaviors and other compulsive thoughts and, and actions do not get in the way of me connecting with real people in my life. I don't want to isolate. I don't want to be scared. I don't want to worry about what I look like. I don't want to worry about what are my clothes. <laughs> you know, can I find them in the box? Oh my God, do I have something big enough? I don't want to worry about these things. I want food to be a part of my life. I am a foodie. I love good food. I love to cook. I love to take hours to make a perfect pie crust and make it flaky and not overwork it. And that makes me happy. And when I've done that, when I've taken the time to spend hours making the freshest berries, the flakiest pie crust with organic ingredients, because that's what I like and what makes me happy and tastes good to me. And it comes out that perfect golden brown and it sits on the counter long enough so that it's cool enough that the insides aren't runny, but still warm enough that if you put a little scoop of ice cream on it, it melts just so. I find that I can eat like a 16th of that pie or less. I can have the equivalent of four bites and I feel absolutely satisfied and happy with my life. So brave companions, whatever you're doing, be wary of putting rules on yourself. Try to find out instead what is important to you, what are your goals, what works for you. If you have a medical issue, you might not be able to say, hey, I feel like eating blueberry pancakes. That might cause your blood sugar to spike and be too high. That might not be a good thing for you to do. So more and more brave companions, I think it's about looking inside ourselves and finding out who are we? Who are we under the food compulsion? Who are we and what makes us truly happy? What do we eat that makes us feel good in our spirit, in our mind, and our bodies? So I've now made it to my podcasting rock. So I'm going to wrap up my topic. I'd love to hear what you have to say about rules and intuitive eating or what you choose to eat or have chosen to eat in the past. Come to day 61 and post your thoughts. And next up, I'm going to read some comments and letters from Brave Companions about prior episodes. First up is a post on day 17 from Helen, the lady who went on the Bravery Report last episode for telling us that she was also Lucy and she decided to post as herself, Helen. Well, Helen posted on day 17 in response to a listener that I mentioned on that show who did not want to be identified by name, but who had a problem with Girl Scout cookies. And then Helen goes on to tell us about her own challenges. And I thought this was a really kind and loving thing to do because I remember at that time I asked for support for this unnamed listener for the Girl Scout cookie issue and this was a show that nobody commented on at all and I remember how sad I felt about that but you know I had to learn to make to have kind of a bigger skin a thicker skin about it I was sad on the behalf of the listener but there weren't that many listeners at that time. And so I'm really happy that Helen posted support. And I want to read the letter about the support that she gives this listener 
I want to read about the challenges that Helen then chooses to share with us in such a brave manner on day 17. And then I want to read a little bit of my response to Helen too. So this is what Helen says on day 17. What a shame there is no responses to the listener bravely saying about her problems with cookies. Mine is a strange case as the job where I should have been more prone to eating problems was where I was nicely losing weight and before any of my binging started. My job now is as a caregiver where I help elderly people in their own homes. It is such a rewarding job and I like it very much. The problem is you might not get a proper breakfast so you will eat on the run. Also you can pop into shops in between clients. I had a binge the other day, was at home at the time, and what started that was the couple I was visiting had cooked their lunch for them as per normal, but the gentleman was not hungry at all. So they said it will just get thrown away if I don't eat it. But then I am on the way home thinking, right, you have had lunch now. Then the little voice in my head is saying, one slice of toast and a bit of fruit won't hurt, but deep down you know it won't be just a slice of toast, but at the time the little voice is winning. It is so hard because you do eat with clients sometimes, but then you want your own food as well. It is strange. I'm in a job I like, but it's like I'm looking for something to be unhappy and upset about. Well, that's just an example of a binge for me. Other times, nothing, at other times, nothing can seem to set it off, but I still do it. I hope you are managing okay, listener, and just letting you know that you are not alone and that we are all here for you, XX. So I thought that was really kind of Helen to go back in time and to post support for the listener who had trouble with Girl Scout cookies. And here's my response about that situation. Hi Helen, you know I remember feeling pretty sad at the time about the lack of response, especially as the lady with the cookie issue was none other than the wonderful Crystal who so inspired my birthday success. She revealed that just lately in her story on the Who Are the Brave Companions page. So you have something in common. She shared her issue and not her name and then decided to step out of the shadows and own her story. Thank you for responding to her now. But back when the show was starting, there was just a handful of brave companions who actually felt okay to comment. So it was always scary for me to ask for comments on behalf of others since I felt so responsible if they didn't happen and it might depend on who was around, who was caught up with the show, etc. We were all learning together as we are now how to best support one another. And then my response to Helen's own eating dilemma. I so get, Helen, why you might be tempted to eat twice. You're obviously a caring person, and so you wish to please the client. But you wish you could also have what you want. The caps are me shouting because that is how I would be. Food that isn't your choice is often not pleasing, and your compulsive, br and your compulsive mind can get all in a knot about that. Keep listening and reading the stories of other brave companions because that will often trigger ideas to help you understand yourself. So brave companions, if you have some comments for Crystal on day 17 about her Girl Scout story, please take a moment to go back in time and leave some support for her and also for Helen's situation. You know, I know that too. Like if I went to someone else's house for dinner and they served me something I don't care for and I ate it to be polite, well, that would lead to a binge for me because inside my head I would be saying to myself, I didn't get to eat what I want. That wasn't what I wanted to eat and so forth. And sometimes, you know, like if you're at a conference for work, you get what you get. You don't get a choice of what you're going to eat. 
Now I do try to keep a little package of nuts in my purse all the time in case there's absolutely nothing that I can stand to eat in one of those situations and I don't want to become starving before I can get myself something that I like to eat. But many, many, many times we have situations in life where we either choose to eat something we don't want to because of a social responsibility or obligation or that's how it turns out. You know, your friends pick the restaurant and it's not your favorite and you make do. Well, all of those feelings of making do and not getting what you want, I believe is part of us who binge. It's part of our triggers because that little binge monster, the robot aliens, the little girl who stomps her foot or the little boy who kicks the door, all want to be seen, heard and understood. And that part of us does not feel loved and cared for when it's not given what it wants. And for little kids, a lot of what they want is identified as a particular food. I want the cookie. I don't like fish. I like steak or whatever a little kid might say. I think that our robot aliens in a great part are little kid robot aliens who come down to let us have that stamp the foot. I want it. I want it. And I'm going to get it moment. So one way to make peace with your robot aliens is to actually go out of your way Whatever your eating situation is, try your very best, whatever you're eating, to make it something you would enjoy eating. And try never to eat, if it's under your control, something that you don't want to. Next, I want to tell you about an interesting letter I got the other day from Stephanie aus Deutschland. That is Stephanie from Germany. And she talks about a binge trigger that's a little bit different. Here's her letter. I often find myself in the following situation. I feel the compulsive urge to eat. I know I'm not hungry and I know that I will feel after. And I know how I can make the urge go away. For example, by brushing my teeth or distracting myself. I know I can avoid a binge and how to do it. And yet I have this voice in my head that is telling me that I shouldn't because then maybe I won't want to eat anymore and right now that's all I want. So why make it go away? So the urge to binge is covered and I guess amplified by an urge not to keep me from binging. I don't know if I explained that very well, but do you know what I mean? I was wondering if you've had similar experiences because honestly it is of no use to me to know how to stop the binge urge if it is overshadowed by these mental chains that keep me from getting there. If you think that is important, feel free to discuss this on your podcast. Maybe someone can relate. Best wishes from Deutschland, Stephanie. Well, Stephanie, I certainly can relate. And I'm going to read part of the letter that I sent back to her. And then, Brave Companions, if you have some ideas on this topic, please post on day 61 for Stephanie and give her your ideas. Hi, Stephanie. Yes, I think I know what you mean. Let's see if I understand. A. Something makes you wish to binge. B. You know some techniques to keep the binge away on the surface, such as teeth brushing. C. The part of you that wishes to binge is now pissed off because it doesn't want to lose the opportunity to binge. D. And the part that wants to binge knows that your techniques aren't addressing A. And from my own experience, this is what that's about. Tricks or techniques don't address the reasons under the binge, so they are still there. And even if you don't binge right now to cope, you will in future if you don't address the reason. 
So what has been helpful for me is prior to the binge situation is to list possible reasons on paper, such as one, loneliness, two, bored, three, feeling shame for something I've done, four, feeling embarrassed, five, mad, six, got over hungry by not eating earlier, seven, mad about eating food I didn't even want, like going to a dinner restaurant you don't like. Binging is never about food for me, like wanting delicious pastry, etc. It's always something else. Because if I want a delicious pastry, then I will stop to enjoy it. Binging for me is stuffing down emotions as fast as possible. Food hardly hits my tongue. But sometimes, when you are about to binge, if you can find a way not to binge long enough to figure out the real reason, that might stop it. If not, then giving yourself permission and saying out loud, I am choosing to binge right now, helps me anyway to limit its power. None of the surface tricks of binge stopping ever worked for long. If I didn't fix what's under the binge, then I just binged even worse. I hope this helps and is probably a good topic to bring up in your therapy or anyone's therapy. I know I, Lori, am certainly going to bring it up in my therapy. Anyway, thanks for the letter. I might use it next episode. Take care, Lori. Well, as you can see, Stephanie, vielen Dank. I did use your letter, and I think this is a very interesting topic. How do you brave companions feel when you're trying to stop a binge episode and you've got the angel and devil on your shoulder? What is the conversation that goes on in your head? Have you found any way to calm that little robot alien inside you in those times? Let us know. Post to us on day 61. And finally, for today, I want to wrap up with a comment conversation between myself, Cheryl, and Sue about food identity. This is something that I brought up as what I was trying to let go last program. I want to let go of my identity as a compulsive overeater or a binge eater, and I want to start making sure that I see myself as someone who has had and has maybe some issues with compulsive eating and binge eating, but I am not a binge eater. I am a person who does lots of different things. And I want to read you part of Cheryl's comment that she left for me after that show on day 60. Letting go of our food identity. What an awesome and mystifying concept. Who am I apart from food? I've never thought about it. Never even attempted to separate myself from food to discover that person. I loved what you said about there is so much more going on with you in your life apart from food issues. Isn't that the way it always is? We never focus on the positive stuff. It's always the negative. Are we just hardwired that way? I bet I can count on one hand the people I know who are the opposite. Be that as that may, your question left me with a new question. What is normal for me? If I concede that I am indeed normal, then what the blazes does that even look like? I've never thought of myself as normal anything. What a challenge. I've also been thinking a lot about what I said regarding being with friends and eating while I have a good time. I realized something interesting, that food is like a drug that lowers our inhibitions. It puts us in a relaxed state so we can be open and free to enjoy each other's company. So I'm asking myself, how in the world is it possible to get to that place without needing the food to do it? Going to have to talk to the girls about that topic. Then she goes on to describe how popcorn has a new meaning for her when it comes to her writing. 
interesting post. I'll put the link in today's show notes so you can read the rest. And here's part of my response. Hmm, so food like booze can be a social lubricant. That makes a lot of sense about why we feel so pissed when dieting. Not only are we feeling like we lose out on the tasty goodies, but we also don't know who we are without a bite on our plate. Very interesting, and I think true for me. Then Sue added, I heard what you were letting go of in this podcast and thought, yes, 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 you are far more than the food label implies. This goes for all brave companions and anyone else who struggles with eating challenges. Our self-esteem takes enough bashing, and we need to focus on the positive characteristics and skills we have. It often does us good to think about how our friends would describe us. Which triggered me to say, and I didn't want to forget mentioning it because it was something that just crossed my mind, and I think it's useful. Thanks, Sue. I agree that all of us brave companions can benefit by finding out who we are under the food compulsions and issues. One place to start is by finding out what we like to do. I think it can be very intimidating, for example, to say out loud, I'm an artist, but easy to say, I find I like to draw. To like to draw doesn't imply talent or success. Now, both may occur, but it isn't necessary. It also helps to take the sting out of perfectionism if our aim is purely to see if we like something. It helps focus on the process versus the result. This is a lesson I'm learning now. And part of this lesson, Brave Companions, I learned on our Independence Day on the 4th of July, where I took a whole day and did whatever I darn well please, including drawing a really quick and freeform picture of my character, Tuna Cat, for the first time in many, many years. And I wrote a blog post about that called Lori's Independence Day, which you can see on CompulsiveOverEatingDiary.com. And I want to give a special thank you and shout out to Cheryl and Stephanie from Quebec, who took the time to leave me comments on that blog post. And while I'm talking about blog posts, Brave Companions, while the summer's going on, I think the number of episodes that I release is going to go down. One, because it's hot and so I'm not walking quite so much. And two, because I'm training for a bike race I'm doing in November. And so to fill that void in myself about figuring out what the heck I'm I'm thinking, I'm starting to blog a little bit more. So if you don't want to miss out on what I have to say, you might find some more of it in writing. So you want to go to compulsiveovereatingdiary.com and sign up for notification by email, and that way you'll know when a new blog post has hit the site. So brave companions, think today about what are the rules that you're imposing on yourself? Is there any rule that maybe you can let go of? Is there something that You can allow yourself a little more freedom, find out a little bit more who you are inside underneath that food compulsion. If you do, please write to me at laurie at compulsiveovereatingdiary.com. Leave your comment on day 61 or via the contact form. Say hello on Facebook or however you might. But whatever you do and wherever you are, please take care because I care. I'm a slave without a master for disaster, kicking up the dust in the middle of the road. I've been waiting on a free ride, ticket to a seaside thicket on the edge of Puget Sound. There I'll sit, I'll admit that I was only just a guest inside my skin. And by the dawn, I'll be gone won't be holding on to anything again 
Sigh.